0: It's Tony Stark's worst nightmare. In a fevered, dreamlike state, Iron Man faces what he fears the most, his technology running rampant, causing world war, death, and destruction, and it's all his fault. Will Tony turn back to the bottle or let technology take control? See Iron Man versus his greatest enemy himself. I'm Eddie Webb. And I'm Chris Spivey. And today is the epilogue of Armor Wars here on Speechless. Welcome to issue 232 of Iron Man, where we... It is very much an epilogue. This this is not related to the plot. You can read Armor Wars and skip this issue and not miss anything, quote-unquote. But I really feel like this issue is an importance, uh is important for Tony Stark's character arc through this story. Um, because if you don't read this, you come away with a very different impression of where Tony is mentally, after all. I would almost
1: think this is an essential issue because it humanizes Tony, as you were kind of saying there. Mm -hmm. And it lets you know that somewhere inside of him, he realized most of the things he was doing and how he was doing them were wrong to some extent. And his approach is something that he could put on the back burner, but it was always nagging at him. That adds like an extra layer of complexity to the character.
0: Right. And This issue when I was reading it as a kid made me realize that characters don't always not only don't not only can they lie to each other, but they can lie to themselves. Because it's really hard to read this and then compare it to Tony's when he's talking talking to himself and say, oh, these map up clips, they don't, they don't. Because what the story has told us Tony Stark is, and what Tony's actions have told him is, and what Tony tells himself don't match up in this issue actually really brings that to the fore and makes it very clear that there's intentionality there. It's not just, you know, uh, we're not reading into it too much. The thing, the, the subject we've been talking about throughout all this run, it's it's text now in this issue. Uh,
1: yeah. Can I say though that this has some of the most amazing art we've seen this in, entire run?
0: Oh God, it's, it's Barry Windsor Smith who I first... I got to appreciate during his run on Conan. Um, But uh, he also did uh, an amazing issue of X-Men called life, death. Um, And his art, honestly, I just, every time I see he's involved artistically, even managers in the story, I at least try to check it out because yeah, his art is amazing. And also he was actually the plotter of this issue, which I did not realize when I first mentioned it last episode. Um, So like he, did the plot, he did the pencil art, he did the colors. One thing he didn't do was uh, scripting and uh, inking and lettering. I mean, otherwise this is all Barry Windsor Smith, which is amazing. I love when, especially in uh, uh, big runs like this, where there's like one issue where one creator has a pretty strong control over it because those moments are usually pretty special, especially when it's Barry Windsor Smith.
1: But it was also uh, a nice touch. With that is that given how this entire issue plays out in Tony's mind, it was a nice break from the other sorts of art style that we'd seen. That with Tony out in the world engaging with things compared to like now his own inner turmoil, like mm-hmm. that was a very nice shift. And the artistic style complements that unbelievably well. I, I would like some of these prints to
0: be on my wall. Yeah, is how much I like them. Absolutely. I mentioned it last episode, but I'm going to reiterate it. This is, we try to talk about these a lot um, and and give you as much context of the art as possible so you don't need to read the issues. But this is one where you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't at least read this before or after you listen to this. Because you don't want to spoil anything because this is one of those where the art is really part of the experience. Um, So we'll go over the plot stuff. There's not much of it. Um, But uh, we're probably going to be talking a lot more about the art in this Episode, which means that it's gonna be it's gonna be helpful if you have something to look looking along with as we're talking about it. Do you have anything so else? I guess really read oh, go ahead.
1: Just one more. Do you remember the first thing that you ever saw of uh, Barry Windsor Smith's work?
0: Uh, I think it was by. probably that issue of Life Death by the X-Men because I I um because that was during the Storm of the Mohawk era. And the way he draws Storm the Mohawk is, was my vision of how Storm looked for so many years after that. And like, it was weird to me to go back and read older issues and, and, and later issues with long white hair because I'm so used to her with that Mohawk and that leather jacket with the, the, the studded belts and that that's, that's such her look. And Barry Windsor Smith did an excellent job in that issue. So I think it's probably the first time I saw his art.
1: Was that the Australian time frame? Because I vaguely, think I think, remember that comic, and I remember the movie no, This was when No,
0: this is right after um, Forge made the gun that took away her powers. Okay. And she was confronting Forge about it. The whole issue is about her talking to Forge, not realizing he's the one who made the gun until she realizes that moment. So definitely
1: pre-nanny.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: So for, for people you? that want to know more about that, Uh, I'm not going to give any spoilers in case we ever decide we want to cover that. You can go Google nanny yourself and see what I'm talking about.
0: When was your first exposure to
1: Barry's art? It's going to be this issue when I first, when it first came out and I read it. Oh, really? Like that's the first one I remember.
0: And this is honestly such a great issue to, to get to know him on because so much to talk about. Um, do you have anything else or ready to dive in? We can go ahead. Uh, so last issue, um, uh, the very last page was Tony falling asleep um, and him saying that it was uh, the first good night's sleep uh, he had in ages. Spoiler, that is not true. <laughs> that could be a good night for Tony. Uh, but we cut to him in the Iron Man suit uh, digging through, it looks like some kind of electronic tunnel. There, There's... Uh, Suggestions of technology. We see that the lights and icons, but everything kind of in in shadow. So we don't actually see tech; but we just see like curves and wires. Uh, and we immediately know something's off because Tony's in his uh, red and silver armor, which we know was destroyed last issue or two issues ago. Uh, but um, all of Tony's speech bubbles, quote unquote, are, are done actually in um, in, in boxes. And this was, I think, probably my first experience with inner monologue as captions rather than as you know thought balloons, because that was such Mm -hmm. so the um, conceit of the original time. And then that became passe around this point. And then we don't we we don't do uh, thought balloons anymore, thought bubbles. Uh, But this is Tony, kind of in his mind, talking to himself, and he's hunting down something. Mm -hmm hunting down something he has to kill
1: uh which is also a nice touch because it literally says kill and mm, that's not something you would normally associate Tony stark may have killed some people let's just be honest but it's not something you would initially put on him as his primary goal when he sets out to do
0: something right and uh we also realize that he's been in some kind of fight because there's a close-up at the bottom of this first page uh, and you can see blood smears out of the um, eye outlet. So like the blood actually kind of burst out of his face onto his mask. And so on the other eyes, it's like blood dripping down from the eye socket. Uh, so Tony is, is clearly had a, a, a pretty nasty fight. And this is the eighties. So it's black lines. It's not red blood black because that, that was the way around the, um, the comics code, but, We know what's blood. It's very clearly Tony's been in a pretty bad fight and he's very badly injured.
1: And I know for me, when I first read it, it was so awesome as a kid to like see this and then associate Iron Man with horror, which wasn't something I would really do a lot. And the very concept of like Tony himself as a high tech sort of hero in in impenetrable armor with like big energy beams doesn't normally make you think horror. It kind of goes the opposite direction on the whole. And Mm -hmm. this issue kind of helped solidify one of my favorite things now is superheroes and horror and how those two like overlap and how you can play with it so much and have it focus on the heroes their own inner parts and then have the horror aspects of it be something that still creeps in like other people and their powers are just another tool or talent they have in their at their disposal to try to combat whatever this thing is
0: right um and we talked a lot about Barry Windsor Smith, but I mean, I do want to give shout out to uh, David Michelini who did the scripting for this. So he wrote all the, the, the words. Um, and there's some, uh, a great moment like Tony, um, he thinks he sees the creature and he shoots a, a, a fire beam at it. Um, and then there are six boxes around him where he goes, did I? No, still feel it. Cold, like a cancer, cutting, eating. And it's just like this, having each word in one box really shows kind of how fragmented Tony's mind is at this point cuz we, we all of his thoughts are literally kind of floating around him and they're they're not lined up they're intentionally kind of offset from each other uh so every so as you you're, you're moving around the page almost like at random to try to follow his thoughts which is dragging your eye across this amazing art over and over again so it's just layout wise is, is is fantastic but the words really sell that Tony is terrified and also a little probably out of his head. I mean, he's probably not all there mentally. Um, uh, so he's following this, this hum that the monster is making, which he equates to laughing. And, uh, he finally realizes that the terrain looks familiar to him. And this is the, the creature's lair. Um, and there's a great shot where, um, a panel where it's just him looking into the darkness. There's a shadow over his faceplate, and the only words are, I'm afraid. And it's, oh, it's beautiful, really just very poignant of, of selling what this is about. Because you're right, this is horror. This is 100% a horror story. And uh, the way that the inks are done, I mean, they, like Tony's chest is very heavily covered in shadow. In fact, um, the, the silver triangle which usually is kind of a very strong icon, of a part of Iron Man's silhouette is actually covered in shadow as well. It's a great way to kind of showcase that Iron Man feels diminished in a very visual way. Uh, so um, the creature, we see a, a, a glimpse the creature, it looks like it's kind of like a gold face with red eyes. Uh, Iron Man shoots at it again, and he's, he's now panicking. He's like, you know, God, anyone help me. Uh, I'm giving everything I've gotten. It just grows stronger. Then we get a decent look at the creature, it, it, and it's just covered in uh, uh, splashes of, of colors and circles and dials and lights. There are uh, uh, cords going down its arms. Its hands are glowing, and we see a faceplate with just eye sockets that are that are steaming off of it, and lights behind it. And it, it's it's very clear that this is. Kind of a deconstructed Iron Man suit. Like this is uh, the Iron Man suit without the the armor around it. It's so like all kind of the inner workings of it. But you see, like the necks, the neck muscles are actually just different colored cords and and twists and dials. And so he, it, it's it's really clear, kind of what the the metaphor is. It's not subtle in that regard. It's like he's, he's always fighting himself. We, we get that pretty quickly. But the way it's shown, the way it's angled, at a Dutch angle. Uh, the the way that the inks are it's very much portraying that very familiar suit as a monster i think
1: we we'd well pass subtlety at the uh at the start of the issue mm-hmm. how you how you mentioned and it was nice to see all the circuitry and everything else because it's not something we usually get to see at all with tony stark cuz whenever mm-hmm. we see the iron man suit it's usually already composed or if it's not quite there yet we just see pieces of it. like we'll see the glove mm-hmm. and he's working on the glove but we only see the exterior but this is showing the internal of the armor, which would also be the internal of who Tony is, because Tony, basically without Iron Man, doesn't consider himself to be Tony Stark.
0: Right. And to continue the horror metaphor, it's effectively Iron Man by the skin. So, I mean, if you. There was an interesting thing happening in the 80s where science fiction writers realized that the things they do to robots can be really grotesque and they can get away with it. Um, and this is kind of one moment of that. This is They're doing a body horror thing, but because it's all using technology, it's sliding past the sensors, but we're still getting the, the same resonance, the same connection. Like this is, this is a
1: horrible thing. Do you know when Hellraiser was released from Clive Barker?
0: Um, I think it was, it was in the 80s sometime. Uh, be, because I know there's a connection part of Hellraiser was tied to, uh, his fear over the AIDS pandemic.
1: Okay. Cause I'm just getting like a direct correlation almost now that we're talking about it with the visuals of the, we'll, we'll say skinless armor and with pinhead in some aspects and kind of what Tony's going through. Cause one of the things that pinhead does is it offers you like all these powers and delights and
0: everything else. And then it's always has some sort of body heart aspect associated with it. Yeah, I just checked, um, uh, and the film was eighty-seven. So this would have been in the zeitgeist at the time this was being written and drawn. So, so yeah, it's a good call, actually. Um, so uh, Tony enters into a fistfight with it, realizing that shooting it's not going to do anything. And again, he's
1: um sorry. Oh, one, one thing before you really go on. Looking at it when it's arced over and it's firing at Tony, and it has like the cord extending from the backpack into its arms. Mm, yeah. That is actually incredibly reminiscent of the melter and the melter suit, almost like one of the oh, first fights. Yeah. And You're right. the blast itself looks almost like fire coming out of the hands, kind of how the
0: melter would do. I hadn't caught that. That's a really good point. And it ties into the whole my technology ultimately caused all my enemies to do what they did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's really good. Sorry. you were saying, no, no. Um, uh, Tony at this point in time is, is losing control. And again, the dialogue is doing a really good job of expressing that. It's like, I'll, I'll shred its wires, peel its bloody hide. It's tormented me long enough. I'll dismember the beast, disembowel. and, And then he trails off and then goes, I can't, uh, And it's not because of any moral presumption. It's it's because he's just not strong enough. Uh, uh, The creature has put its uh, hands on Iron Man's face. And again, we see see a close-up of the hand, and it's just covered with this amazingly intricate uh, circuitry and color. And it's this – we keep going – talking about Kirby tech uh, and it's not quite that, but it's the same kind of idea where you can do something that looks really ornate and then you using very bright pastel colors to, 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 ex, to express technology in a way that should not work, but visually resonates really, really well. So, I mean, th- you have this hand with like Lime green and pink and red and pale blue, but it still looks scary as hell. And the colors actually add to that effect in a really surprising way. Uh, but uh, the, um, the, actually, the, the hand blows Tony's mask off, but before that happens, uh, the creature, its mask, which maybe we're getting the, the Hellraiser thing, there are these pins that start to extrude from the mask's face. Uh, as uh, we get really good close-up. We're not seeing the whole head, so it's like the the, the panel's cutting off, so we never get a good look at the creature. But we still do see its eyes are, in fact, roiling with flame. Um, And then there's an explosion, a zact. And then we have a whole page of just watching Tony's helmet blow off and then roll on the grounds, and then we zoom in and see all the bits and pieces inside of it as this faceplate has been shredded. And that closely resemble, in
1: case you didn't know, it was going to be Tony, the creature mm-hmm. itself. When right you get to see the interior, and yeah. it's also, I guess, in one aspect, it feels like a callback to when they sent out the, the red and silver armor and let yep. firepower destroy it, and we followed the helmet
0: too. I was, I was thinking the same thing. It's like there's definitely, I think, uh, a connection there. Um, but uh, so Tony has the helmet blown off. He's again, his blood streaking down his face, and he's like, "I'm just gonna." Rest here a bit. I feel comfortable, like I belong. And then we zoom out and see that he's lying on a bed of corpses. And <laughs> I love this as a kid, and I
1: love it right now still. Oh,
0: I know. It's, and again, there's a, um, a coloring bit here because uh, uh, it was, there was com- uh, until around the 2000s, uh, there was a coloring concept called block coloring. Uh, I think I talked about this maybe in the, um, one of the earlier pieces, but to cut recap, uh, older comics, sometimes what they would do is they would do entire chunks of a panel in a color or a small color palette. Uh, and, and the idea was that this was the background You're not supposed to focus on the details. So they would just paint like the color, the, the, the crowd, like a uh, uniform, like blue or green or whatever. And usually it's a color to kind of also adds a kind of visual contrast to the scene, but it's it's rather than abstract it's just taking in this case very fine art you know fine line artwork but then just coloring it all in this uh, a blue with, with pops of white and yellow um but then tony is still colored in his red and silver so we have tony's red popping amongst these corpses and he's partially buried now in his corpses so we see this red figure being almost drawn under this this pile of uniform corpses with the occasional, like there's a little bit of, like skin tone here and there, but it's pretty much just a solid blue or gray. And it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful image. Do you think the green was intentional or just a error? Um, th- yeah, his, uh, the green of the triangle, I think that was probably, um, attempts to, do lighting that I don't think quite worked. Yeah, I think this probably was meant to be a, a, a yellow or a yellow blue, and it kind of just came out a bit of a muddy green. But even then, it draws your eye. It draws your eye to that that chest plate, so you're you're you never kind of even when you're trying to look at the rest of the page, your eye keeps being drawn back to Tony, which is a great way of doing it. Is like you, you can't really focus on other details because your eye keeps going back to Tony in the center of this pile. Um, and so uh, he pulls his way out. Um, and and as he gets up, more bits of his armor fall off. Uh, his shoulder pad most significantly falls off, uh, and he's there's miles of them. Places humid, and it's, who are they? And we actually see our first actual word balloon, um, which is they're victims. And it turns out we the camera pans, if you will, but the next panel, um, we see Rhodey in the classic yellow and gold armor. Uh, this kind of the '70s era armor, which Rhodey. War when he was Iron Man. And Tony immediately recognizes him as Rhodey. And it's like, so, who, so where are we? And it's like, this is your world, the place you made. And it's fascinating to me that Rhodey in Tony's subconscious is Tony's conscience. That, that sentence not weird. <laughs> the fact that uh, Tony, when Tony's trying to, th- Manifests something to represents the, the 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 part of him that is supposed to be good and noble. He doesn't see himself; he sees Jim Rhodes, and I find that fascinating and one hundred percent in line with all the issues we read. Mm-hmm. It's also
1: interesting, though, that if you look at Rhodey's armor, Rody is attached to the world mm-hmm. and isn't a free agent at all. In this, how Tony is somewhat of a free agent in his own mind.
0: Yeah, because there are these tubes that are actually attaching to the two little kind of circle things in the front of the Iron Man armor, um, and uh, and the scene actually plays out too because he's he's carrying a corpse when he's talking to uh, Tony, and it's like you know this isn't right. He's like, sure isn't, um, and eventually, when Tony's asking uh, questions, Brody's like, figure it out yourself. It's all it's all your problem. Me, I just clean up around here. As he throws the corpse into a pit of fire, and again, one hundred percent in line with how we've seen Rhodes in this run, is Jim is cleaning up after Tony on a professional level, on a personal level. Um, may or may not have talked to uh talked Tony out of taking another drink. Um, so I mean. Absolutely. And we've even called, we've even talked about this Jim Rhodes. If he wasn't involved in this it, armor wars could have been so much worse. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Tony didn't do a great job and frankly treats Brody like shit sometimes, but Brody absolutely was the only person trying to keep Tony centered throughout all of this. Um. So uh, Tony's trying to explain, no, it wasn't me. It was the monster. Uh, some sort of creature, and it's like, so, so, and Rudy's like, so where is it? And it's like, I don't know, it's somewhere, it's always been here, um, and then Rudy's like, okay, well, sounds like you're some serious stuff, and then we realized that at some point during the conversation, we moved to a bar, and it's like, what do you want? It sounds like you need some. How about some bottled courage? Sounds like you need some, which is <laughs> such a burn, <laughs> such a good burn. Um, and it's like, you know, I'm an alcoholic, I can't take a drink. And and Birdie's like, you want to escape one way is as good as any other. Uh, and again, I'm gonna kind of take a pause here because this is a great scene. But I just said a minute ago that it's fascinating that Rhodes is presented as Tony's conscience. And then now. Rhodey is tormenting Tony. And I don't think these are. Incompatible. Right. I think that. Tony will ultimately. Twist anything good in his life. And for a while. He was able to blame the alcoholism. For that. Now he can't. And this is still happening. So by. Bringing the alcoholism in, it kind of showcases that him no longer being an addict doesn't change the fact that he's still, frankly, he's still an asshole.
1: <laughs> now that you've you've said that, I do want to point out that the one corpse that we do see Rody throw into the fire is a female presenting corpse, and it has the thing of like cleaning up after Tony, and that goes back mm. to another one of Tony's. I'm not going to say addictions, but it's something that he constantly does, and doesn't really seem to care as much about those about people in his life. And it has Jim coming in taking care of it for him.
0: Yeah, he literally someone throwing a woman away.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I didn't catch
0: that, but that's that's fantastic. Yeah,
1: and that lines up exactly again with Tony and another one of the things that he does.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, something else that has been going on through the whole issue with a couple of exceptions, but it's really noticeable on this page, is that we don't really see a background. And this is not uncommon for comic books of the era. Uh, detailed backgrounds weren't always prevalent. Um, and instead they will usually put a splash of color in the background instead of, a, instead of detail. Um, And this one, when we were in the fire pit, there was lots of reds and and kind of okras. And then we moved to the bar and moved to kind of cooler blues and greens. But the color always changes each panel, which is a nice subtle way of indicating this is a surreal environment. It never stays stable.
1: Well, a lot of it's also sort of like dreams. For instance, even if your dreams have a backdrop, usually they're not uh, 100% correct. Right. There's like there's some vagary to them. Part bits and pieces of them are unbelievably crystal clear, and others are very gray in appearance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it works fantastic for this dreamscape. The uh, other thing I really want to point out, mm-hmm. sort of a tangenting off of that, is that while we're talking about Rodi being here and Rodi being his conscience, and you get just the beats of how already' speaking, that it's Rodi. Rodi is completely inside the armor, and you don't get to see yeah. Rodi. Mm-hmm. So. That is showing you, again, how we're saying Rody is Tony's conscience, but the reflection of that is going to still be Iron Man, because right. Tony is always Iron Man, and everyone around him sort of aids or fuels his being Iron Man. And Rody, having been a version of Iron Man of himself, I think
0: also strengthens the bond between the two of them. Right, but you're absolutely right. He doesn't see Jim outside the armor. Um, he only sees him as another version of himself which is another great touch. Um, so Tony pleads for Verdi's help. And he's like, nothing I can do is out of my hands. This is your play. Um, and then again, great lines like, but it's not me. It's the monster. And Verdi says, same thing. And just two words that just really summarize what this whole issue is about and what this whole uh, arc is about. Um, and so... Rody leans over and goes, so what'll it be? And then Tony caves. He goes, vodka tonic, a double. And then uh Roddy goes, sorry, but you've had enough. Um, so basically, I was never gonna give you that drink. He's also bigger. Again, the dream yeah. logic is that Tony's actually physically larger than Tony now. He's he's leaning on the bar, but he's towering. He's probably 10, 15 feet tall at this point. Um and so Tony's like, well, why are you torturing me? He's like, I'm not the one turning the thumb screws. You keep looking for a way out. Maybe you look for a way in. Uh, he's talking about, um, uh, again, a great line, which is, you can't handle no monsters if you can, if you handle yourself. Last paragraph, hotshot, bottom line, what is simply is. And yeah. this leads to the, the, the reveal in a second. But before again, I want to stop because Again, that's quietly underpinning Tony's entire problem. Tony cannot let things simply be. He's incapable of it. If there's a problem, he must try to fix it. If there is an injustice, he must try to confront it. If there is something that can be acquired, he must try to acquire it. He cannot simply let the status quo stand because he's a futurist. By by definition, his own definition, he's an inventor, he's a futurist. He must always be pushing forward. He cannot simply exist in the status quo.
1: So then, would you consider a futurist to be a positive or a negative? Not, We're not even saying the Tony Stark extreme of it, but in general.
0: Um, That's an interesting question. Uh, I feel like, to dodge slightly, I feel like the comic <laughs> is positing that futurism has a lot of problems that need to be examined. Uh, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with being a forward-thinking person and trying to constantly event the future. I think that we as a, as a society need to move forward. But I think this is showing that a recklessly doing that definitely has problems. So it, it, it's how you pursue that future and what kind of future you're pursuing that are potentially concerns. But inherently, no, I don't think futurists are a problem. Yeah. So um, we uh, the hum comes back of the monster and suddenly, without any explanation, Tony is tied up in a whole bunch of wires. Uh, and uh, Tony keeps repeating to himself, "What is is what is is what is is what is is what is." is, what is. Um, but uh, there's a light coming up behind him, and t- uh, Rhodey, who's now no longer visible, but he's still there's still word balloons, so we assume that it is Rhodey. Times walking, also he says, "Dig it, chief," which is a very important <sighs> <really> line. <laughs> um, so it's like the power is yours, just have to turn it around. And he's saying this as Tony is turning towards the lights and the light and the monster. And we see that the monster is perhaps predictably um, is actually Tony Stark's face. Um, But it's towering. It's again, like massive in size. And it's not just Tony in a suit of armor. There's actually like a plug that's going into the side of his cheek. Um, And, as Tony is screaming, the monster is screaming. Um, so uh, it, 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 it's, it's more complex than simply a mirror. It, it's like, this is, is Tony as technology. This is Tony's identity is subsumed by this, this bits of wires and lights and knobs. So reading this now though,
1: when I was reading it this time, uh, it instantly made me think of Doug Locke.
0: Okay, I can see that.
1: So for people that don't know who Doug Luck is, in the New Mutants, there was uh, Doug Ramsey, whose power was he was a universal translator, which is, I think is one of the greatest powers in existence. Not so 11%. much in comics fighting supervillains. But there was also an alien called Warlock that was sort of a sentient, organic being, and the two eventually merge into one. hmm
0: and, and yeah, the, the New Mutants...
1: Uh, it was a horror
0: comic. Yeah. Yeah. No, the humans absolutely was a horror comic, especially when, uh, Bill Sienkiewicz was drawing it. Oh, oh, I could talk about Sienkiewicz's art too all day, but anyway. Um, so the, uh, the, the, the monster starts to, to put a hand on Tony again. And Tony's again, terrified. He's like, I'm in hell. I'm the devil. I'm stealing my own soul. Um, and as the monster tries to go for Tony's face again, um, Tony actually swings his feet up and uses his, uh, Boots to uh, shoot directly into the monster's face, um, which, to your point earlier, I think that's also a connection to um, when he actually killed Titanium Man with his boots. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so so uh, um, there's an explosion. Tony is uh, knocked free, bounces on this landscape that's just now threaded and knotted wires. Uh, and it's like I, I channeled everything into it. One single burst, but the beast still lives, grows stronger, draining me like a vampire, like a leech, like a lover. Which, again, an interesting note for Tony specifically to do, he views love as a parasitical relationship.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Not so.
1: Then we can get, I guess, into like the semantics of what you consider a lover. But for Tony, I'm considering it even less of a... I love more of like a physical sort of love that he's engaging in, which would go back sure. to the burning of bodies and everything else. And it's incredibly telling for the character. Like those three things are all sort of like in the same breath and thought vampire leech lover.
0: Like, yep. Mm. Absolutely. It's, it's so good. Um, so he starts to run and through the wires of the landscape, uh, hands are grabbing at him and trying to to pull him down again. The corpses have, have come to life and they're like avenge us, destroy it. Uh, we're dead. Um, you have power. You don't imagine. And uh, one of the bodies underneath there turns out to be Jim Rhodes, still in the Iron Man suit, of course. And he grabs Tony's arm. Again, the armors has been shredding bits and pieces have fallen off. Uh, uh, now the gauntlets, uh, the, the armor around them, it's just exposed wires. So he grabs some of those exposed wires and it says, uh, um, you know, you use those smarts to, um, remember that the power, the thing feeds on power and the power is yours. You have to turn it around. But as Tony, as we talking about that, Tony says, Rhodey is also a victim. I never knew. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, Jim Rhodes, life has, been damaged because of your crusade and you're only starting to recognize that in this subconscious dream it's just this. it's, it's amazing that this issue is such a careful dismantling of Tony Stark as a character <laughs> in an <laughs> Iron Man comic and it's in Tony Stark's dream so Tony Stark is dismantling himself so efficiently in this <laughs> um but uh Tony realizes that he can uh reverse his repulsors to actually absorb energy instead of releasing it. And so he actually starts physically reprogramming his gauntlets because again all the wires are exposed. Um so uh he he he's gonna he take power into himself. He talked about how afraid he is, how he's never hated someone so much. Again, manifested self-loathing, which which mm-hmm. we've seen. Um uh, and then he starts to say, uh, "Lord's prayer." I think it's Lord's prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my Lord's looking at it. Yeah, I think yeah. It's Lord's prayer. Yeah. So he says that as he attacks a- a- and uh, t- uh, tries to dismantle this creature, like he's, he's punching it, he's using his repulsors, he's shooting into it, and we just have these great long panels of him just. Uh, continuing to fight it, and then the monster screaming, and we get again a close up of the face. Then we can see like, that one eye is black, and there's wires coming off its forehead. And um, as Tony's attacking it, the wires in the landscape get mixed up into Tony, so that way he starts to look more and more like the monster he's defeating as he defeats it. Mm-hmm. And then near the end, uh, it actually gets hard to see what the action is until. Tony just explodes. Uh, uh, his armor explodes. There are wires everywhere. We can see uh, the, the frame of the armor. It, 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 it's evoking a skeletal structure without actually showing it. So you can't mistake it for skeletal structure, but certainly it's it's heavily implying that.
1: And I do like the touch of the use of the Lord's Prayer because frequently, regardless of religious mm feelings that people may have a lot of people in their darkest moments when they're grasping for something regardless of what it is will try to, will then latch on to religion to use that to try to push them through whatever the thing is they're doing like that is a nice nod to that without mm-hmm. changing tony or like making it overly apparent other than like you get the beats of it as he's going through fighting himself
0: right and it's also telling that he is not praying to God he's simply reciting something he's heard in the culture, his cultural awareness. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't imply that Tony has faith. It's just this is the thing that people say when they're about to die. Yep. You know? So it, it, it's just a rote recitation, which I love. Uh, so he wakes up. It was a nightmare. And we have the last page in which we realize Tony Stark has learned not a fucking thing <laughs> <laughs> because he's like um i still feel restless i feel guilty because all the people have suffered um uh, i was uh, uh trying to fight it my subconscious kept gnawing at me i can never destroy the beast I is accept as a part of me reconcile and then move on with my life i'm like this entire issue and then tony's thing is like well that sucked for me i guess i'll just have to live with it and it's like you were on a mound of corpses of your victims. Your best friend, you realize, is a victim. And you're like, well, I guess I'll have to I'll have to suffer with this.
1: <laughs> but that is the most human thing yes. that Tony could have done.
0: Absolutely. No, it and, is 100%. His character is 100% a human response.
1: And given it's still my stance that Tony Stark is probably one of the greatest villains of the Marvel Universe.
0: Yeah. And it's... When you first started talking about that, I was like, "Ah, I think it's a bit strong. But as, as we moved through, it's been interesting because at least in this arc, there's a lot of comic book villain language and positioning that happens around Tony Stark. So that way, this run in particular, and then this last issue does muddy the waters in a way that was surprisingly innovative for the late 80s in comic books.
1: I stand by it because I think they've rebooted him, how I've mentioned before, two or three times to make him mm-hmm. less evil. But he mm-hmm. keeps going back in that trajectory of evil. And part of it goes back to the character that we have for Tony as someone with power and wanting to use that power for what they consider to be right. And mm-hmm. one person with absolute power will always, always, I don't care what anyone says, lead to corruption. It, right. it can't be helped. You need all the other people and a council of everything else to help mitigate and keep ideas because the best way forward is um, sort of a, a neutral path and it's not going to be the most progressive. It will not be the most uh, recidive, but it's something
0: that you have to do together as a people and it can't be just one person. I We, t- we talked at the beginning how this isn't a strictly necessary issue in terms of plot, but this is one of those moments where a piece of media sometimes lives or dies and how well it sticks the landing on the ending. And if you include this, Armor Wars becomes an amazing run of comics. If you don't include this, it becomes a okay run of comics. But to have this, to have nine issues, kinds of the, uh, the Captain America crossovers, where we see Tony... Being kind of a jerk, but still thinking he's doing the right thing. And the whole time, him being so confident that this is the right path forward. And then to have this last issue, we realize that he is not at all confident. And in fact, recognizes the horrible cost that his armor wars have put upon himself and everything around him. Really helps to sell that Tony is flawed in a way that the other nine issues don't necessarily always bring out.
1: I think part of it though, is that there is a difference between confidence and arrogance. And Tony yep. has a lot of arrogance. Right. And this issue just reinforced
0: all of that. Right. Because without this, it's hard to tell whether it's confidence or arrogance um, with it. With, I mean, there's bits and pieces where, I mean, um, Rhodey, Calls him out on it a little bit. Obviously, um, Steve Rogers calls him out on it a lot. Um, the West Coast Avengers muddy that water a little bit. So there are other characters who are calling him out. But the whole time, Tony feels it's easy to buy into the narrative of the one lone man who stands against the world to do what he thinks is right, and ultimately would be validated at the end. This issue puts it around that no, not even Tony was one hundred percent convinced this was the right path, and still is not convinced. The fact that this like this is not an ending. This is not a tidy wrap-up. Tony is changed as a result of this. Even if he rec- doesn't recognize it. is is just amazing. And again, to, to bring in some, an artist of this caliber to do such a beautifully, visually amazing comic. Um, And again, it was done in... Uh, the weirdness of the time is like, this would have been an event. This would have been like a one-shot, big thing, heavily promoted. This was just a normal issue of the comic just came along and that's how I originally imbibed it, right? It's like, Okay, Armour Reserve, what's next? And I get this issue and I say, what the hell has happened? I, I was like, I was not prepared for this. I, this is not okay. Um, because it, 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 it you aren't ready for it. And I think that almost adds to the experience is if you don't realize this issue is at the end of this whole run, if you just kind of stumble across this, it it, it gives it even more weight because it's it, it just kind of a slam. No, this is... The, the story is over, but Tony continues, and Tony is a different person now, whether he, rec- whether he wants to recognize it or not. <laughs> but yeah, like, so that's, that's Armor Wars. Um, do you have any final thoughts about the whole run of Armor Wars?
1: That this has been fun. I do think this issue is essential for the entire run, just to capstone mm-hmm. it. And if for no other reason that it gives enough callbacks inside of the issue that touches on all the other parts, that it feels like it is intended to be connected. Mm-hmm. but otherwise this was a blast. If if people liked us doing this, let us know. We might try to do another one. I've tried to twist Eddie's arm because I've got an, an idea for, for the Ultimates, but yes. this is also Eddie Eddie's bandwagon and I am just like here
0: hanging out. I mean, I'm sure there, there'll be more speeches with some point, whether it's both of us or whether it's me or we switch back and forth. I, I mean, I think the performance, because I, I think I have been enjoying talking about comics like this um, it's nice to apply the same kind of enthusiastic criticism that we've been doing with, with TV shows and a little bit with movies in a genre list to, to comics because they're a valid art form but also need to be examined a little differently, especially a lot of them looking at which have been long-form com- long superhero comics. You can't just pick up a book and read it and be done, right? It's, like you have, it's it's part of a swim of an ongoing stream, and so it takes a different approach, whereas TV shows, nearly all of them have some form of end. Uh, so it's like you, you can look at them as a piece afterwards. You can't quite do that with comics like this, so it's an interesting way to kind of take a chunk out of that stream and go, okay, let's look at this. So this has been really good. And, and also, like I said, this has been – This is the reason why I've always been an Iron Man fan was this exact run of comics. And it's frustrating because so few other Iron Man comics actually match up to this. (laughs) This is great. I got to be more Iron Man. It's like, oh, the rest of Iron Man's kind of, eh. I mean, there are bits and pieces, moments of, (laughs) of brilliance. Like Demon in the Bottle is also a really good run. But a lot of times it's just like, eh. Okay, Tony's mad because he's lost some points in the stock market. Okay, I don't really care. Um, you don't think run when Iron Man like, and oh, this can Dr. be Doom. really good compel- compelling character drama. You don't think when
1: Iron Man and Doctor Doom got sent back to King Arthur's court, court that that is on par with this?
0: Okay, that is also amazing, but for completely different <laughs> reasons. You, you're you're correct about that, uh, and the fact that they go back and do it again like 20 years later, <laughs> it's, it's like we're to call back to this storyline. Um, but
1: no to, to touch on what you're saying for i enjoyed doing this in this medium because it allowed me to do something that i that i can't do in a normal journalist show for journalists we have to watch everything all at once and compile all our thoughts and have them but for this yeah. now we're doing it i've been able to read one issue and then we do our podcast and then i read the next one so it gives me as close as i can to yeah. what my experience was when i was a kid reading it and then it lets me think about the different parts before we podcast and then when i read the next one i can add on to like that and my other thoughts and it lets me have that disparaging opinions and see how the comic sort of evolves as we go through it
0: yeah i have been enjoying this in that form because all my other speeches have been a few issues at a shot doing them one at a time you're right has been really fun um and also leavening in the captain america comics even though they were kind of a mixed bad um oh no still- no no Nothing,
1: nothing will ever beat the Serpent Society Corporation or 503C. You never know. They might go as a, a nonprofit.
0: Superfell <laughs> Crypto nonprofit. Oh my God, it's amazing. Um uh yes, but I mean it, you're right. The the emulation of of that childhood experience of, of of waiting to the next issue has actually been a really cool way of of replicating that with this. So that this has been really fun to do it that way. So yeah, I think we'll probably do something equivalent in future. We'll see how it goes. Uh, it will but not in the be meantime, course. If people wanted to talk to you about Iron Man comics or anything in general, where where's the current best way to find you online?
1: Probably in the Dark Hue Discord, where I think currently there's a talk about Elementary, which yes. I, I'm glad people enjoy it. It's not for me. Or you could find me on social media somewhere or the Darker Hue website. What about you?
0: Uh, you can find me, my website is Pugsteady. That's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y.com. Um I am currently shopping for a new social media network, so I'm around, although I'm still currently on Twitter if you want just news and updates. Um, but yeah, the, the darker darker hue discard, one of those words is true. Um, is probably the best place to 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 hang out where I can talk to you about why Johnny Lee Miller is in fact one of the five best Sherlock Holmes of all time. Uh, so but that's it for Speechless. Um, we'll have more Genreless starting next week and I'll catch, we'll catch you all then.
1: Basil Rathbone is rolling around in his grave.